It's always a, a pleasure to get to speak in front of the church congregation that has seen me to grow up, to go to college, go through high school, go through all that fun stuff. And uh, I think being able to preach in front of you guys is kind of like uh, maybe making up for some of the trouble I caused as a toddler for some of you. So there you go. Uh, as some of you may know, um, my name is Dalen Bradshaw. I just graduated from Olivet Nazarene University in the spring. Um, and now I'm the uh, youth director here. And so that's been an amazing experience. It's everything I looked forward to uh, after college. So I got no complaints. Um, college is a wild ride. Um, when you're not just making like an excellent group of friends, creating memories and doing all the great things that you envision in college, um, it, it kind of makes you bittersweet in a way when you have to graduate. And while it was very well with my soul when I did graduate and I got my $78,000 piece of paper, um, <laughs> it, it was still bittersweet in the end. And even though there were some things in college that didn't make my soul well, like all-nighters, group presentations, homework, sometimes a job. It's, it's hard to know how you can make your soul well. So today, I, I want to ask you guys, as Christians, how are we to make our soul well? Or better yet, when situations come into our lives where we just kind of get thrown out of right field or something. How can we keep it well with our soul? But I think before we can answer that, I think we have to understand what it means for our soul to be well in the first place. So for me, I can't explain the feeling of when my soul is well, except for just like the whole feeling of being risen. I don't know why, but that's just how I feel when I feel like my soul is well. I just feel like I become weightless. It's sort of as if the Holy Spirit just put a bunch of helium into my body and I'm just floating up into the ceiling. And while that's meant to be as a joke, uh, it does kind of take away these feelings of doubt, of fear, whatever transgressions we're going through. And basically anything that doesn't really bring us joy into our lives and just washes them away, cleans the slate, knocks them out. And one moment that is very small, but it was kind of a big deal to me, was this last year at college. So for some people that have not been to college or, or do have, like, have been to college and know how this works, you get to create your own schedule. So on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I didn't go to class until 11 o'clock. So that was great. But Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, I went to class at 8 a.m., and that was not great. And so that first class I took, um, long story short, I needed another class to graduate because I was down by like one credit. And so I just took a class that I thought would be interesting. But they called it something that I really wish they would have called it something different because the class is called terrorism. And it's like a class where they teach you how law enforcement deals with terrorism. Anyway, the professor was like this one year from retirement Illinois State police officer and Let's just say, I wish he would have retired a year earlier. <laughs> because he just, he seemed like as if every single person in that class 
was in that class so that they could become a police officer, and I made it very well known that I was not going to be a police officer. So much that I put it in the first test. That was probably not the best idea. And I was like, you know, like I'm gonna level with the doc. I have no idea what a cop does in this field. And so I made that known in the first test. And I don't know if he just didn't care or if he just like, he was like, you completely did not do what I asked. So I didn't do too hot on that first test. But I say all that to kind of say that class was not very fun, but I did manage to uh, get in the spot where once the final came around, if I passed the class or if I passed the test, I would pass the class. But if I failed the test, I would not pass the class. So you can imagine all my nervousness and my frustration when finals week came around. And this is no strike against Olivet, but I think the way that they handle finals week is not very smart because, and here's why, here's why. So they have, you get one week off at the end of the semester, which is great. I will gladly take a week off of school. But what they forget to tell you is not only do you have to do the schoolwork that week that everyone else is there, but you also have to do the schoolwork from the week you're going to be gone. And so, like, granted, it's finals week, but that also means you have to do all your homework that normal week and then all your finals that same week. So if you're like me and you had a bunch of projects and a bunch of group presentations and then that final, it was not fun. But luckily, in this class, I didn't know this until the last, I think it was the last Tuesday of that class, the professor uttered three special words that immediately made it well with my soul. He said, seniors are excused. So I was like, yes, I don't have to take this final, and I don't have to worry about failing. And maybe some of us do have moments like this where we have this weight that's kind of on our chest, on our shoulders, that immediately is, gets, just gets lifted from us, and we just don't have, no longer have to take responsibility for that. And so now that I've kind of talked about what it kind of means to be well with our soul, what about when it's not well? Like, what if I did have to take that big, like, that big exam to determine whether or not I graduated this fall? I'll say this. If I didn't pass, I would, have, I would not go back because I'm not going back for just one class. And what about, what about the things that we wish for and pray for and they don't go the way that we envision them? Or maybe there's something that God's placing on our hearts this morning that makes our hearts unwell. And so for me, one of the most relatable Bible characters is David, because to me, he's the most human out of all of them. He makes so many mistakes, but yet God still loves him. Not only that, but I think the most crazy thing he's done is slay a giant. Because, yes, Moses had a great story, but I did not part the Red Sea last week. And Jesus... He's done so many crazy things that I just know I could not do. Like, I cannot raise someone from the dead or make, them like, make the blind see or anything like that. And don't even get me started on Lazarus. I cannot raise myself from the dead, even though he did not do that. But you know what I mean. And so that's why I think David is the most relatable. He, 
is the most human, and he just, he just so easily to relate to. So if you would this morning, turn to me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, we're going to be going through verses 20 through 40. Um, this is a very classic uh, Bible story that um, I think just has some very interesting imagery as we read through it. So starting at verse 20. It says, So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies, and he went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp where the army was going out uh, in battle, array shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle, array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath. He was coming up from the army of the Philistines and spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming to defy Israel. And it will be that uh, the king will, enri it will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes, takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is the uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in, according, in accord with the words, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills them. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger turned against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? When he turned away from him, him to another, and said the same thing, and the people answered the same thing as before. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told, him, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail and account for him. Your servant will go and fight, for the, fight this, with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this, this Philistine to fight with him, for you, you are but a youth, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him. And rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and I killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the baron, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. And then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with armor. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. And David took, took them off and he, he, he took his stick from his hand and chose the five smooth stones from his brook and put them in the shepherd's bag which he had, even in his pouch and his sling uh, was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And so in this passage, we can kind of see how David is so 
willing to go against this giant. And he's going in with no sword, no armor. He just has his rocks and his, his stick to take out Goliath. And if you read ahead, David does take down Goliath, this giant. And I think there's so many giants in our lives that keep us from making our souls well. See, David had so much confidence that the Lord would deliver him from this Philistine's hands that he just went into this battle knowing that he would be victorious. And there's definitely some giants that we feel that we can't slay with a rock and a sling. Heck, one of the stories or one of the giants in my life still requires prayer, and that is my fear of tornadoes. And just some backstory, I am not like every other Midwesterner where the second that there's tornado sirens, I go out and check, I go and hide in my basement. Because when I was a kid, I was shown Twister. And enough said, enough said. And as a, as a kid, whenever I would see it getting stormy outside or even just like the littlest bit where it would get dark, just instant sweat, I would be so scared. And as a kid, I just learned to do the whole, God, don't let there be a tornado. And every time I did that, there wouldn't be a tornado. Now, as a 22-year-old, I still pray that, but... I also pray that God would calm the fears that I have of there being a tornado. I ask him to make it well with my soul. And I'm 22 years old, and I've never seen a tornado. So the power of prayer is pretty strong. But sometimes in life, we have moments where it's not well, and kind of out of our control. Sometimes we have unforeseen circumstances or we have moments where no matter what we do or no matter what we've done to prevent something, situations happen. And we can sometimes ask ourselves, why me? In my time at Olivet, I learned a lot of things, not just academically, but spiritually. And Every Wednesday and Thursday, we would have chapel, and most of the time, they were hit or miss. But this one uh, speaker told the story of Horatio Spafford. And for those who don't know, Horatio Spafford's story is what inspires the classic hymn, It Is Well. See, Horatio, Horatio knew, knew a thing or two about unexpected changes. He was, a, he was a successful attorney and a real estate investor who lost a fortune in the Chicago Fire of 1871. And around the same time, he lost a four-year-old daughter to the scarlet fever. And so he thought to treat his family to a vacation in England. And so he sent off his wife and his four daughters to go to England, and he would meet with them later. But on their journey, uh, when they were crossing the Atlantic Ocean, their ship collided with another ship, and 200 people lost their lives, including the four daughters of Horatio. His wife survived the tragedy, and upon arriving to England, she sent a message to her husband saying, Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately left for England, but during his voyage, the captain knew of the family situation. He, had, he knew that 
the fam- what the family had just gone through. And so when they were going over the part in the Atlantic, he let Horatio know that this was where his four daughters had passed away. And as Horatio thought about his daughters, words of comfort and hope filled his heart, and he wrote them down. And it became the words of this classic hymn. And he wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. And we can't always say that Everything is well in every aspect of our lives. There's always going to be storms that we're going to face. And sometimes there's going to be tragedies. But with faith in a living God and with trust in his divine help, we can confidently say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And so one of, one of the professors that has affected me greatly, that I, like, still make contact with to this day is Jeff Stark. And as I was preparing for the sermon, um, I know he posted something on Facebook that I just felt really kind of fit with what I was going for in this message. And so I, I'm borrowing it. Um, he says, so today is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice, pray, persevere, laugh, lament, scratch my head in confusion, wrestle with my convictions, Try to stave off the anxiety, struggle through the absurdity, shake my fists in frustration, and confess my falling short. Wonder what it's all about. Wait faithfully on the Lord's timing. Demand love from others and deny love to those that fail to meet my demands. Get irritated, also intrigued. Accuse others of hypocrisy and affirm those that already like, think like me. And realize that I, like most, are a bundle of internal contradictions that the Lord loves deeply. For this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be loved through it. So as I kind of wrap this up a little bit, I'm going to read to you guys Psalm 23. And lately, it's become one of my favorite psalms. And I can just remember in children's church having to memorize it, but that wasn't fun. But now, now it's been really helpful, so... Um, Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me behind quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So today, if, if something's not well with your soul today, I would just invite you to come down to the altar. The altar is open. Um, you can pray. I, I've definitely, with all the years of my life, being here, I know there's this, this is a great congregation. If you need someone to pray with you, most of the time there's an army of people here to pray for you. So if that's you today, the altar is open.